Blog Talk Radio. Introducing in the red corner, American Tennis! And introducing in the blue corner, your host for American Tennis, Mr. Chuck Reese! Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. And hello! This is Coach Chuck Creasy, and it's another week of American Tennis. Every week on the UR Tennis Network, that's U, the letter U, the letter R, the number 10, and the letter S, network.com, you can go and listen to my program at noon on Wednesdays. Also, Lisa Stone's Parenting Aces program on Tuesdays at noon. And then, of course, Coach John Denise's program. Uh, uh, his Florida Connection program at, let me see, I always get the time wrong here, but it's 5.30 on Thursdays. Folks, you can go and listen to these programs. And thank you, J.P. Weber, for taking over the Our Tennis Network. Actually, We Coach Tennis is the website and the Facebook that you need to go to. And Coach Weber has over 2,000 coaches and people on his we coach tennis site now, and that's that's amazing. But also he has the Yellow Ball Network where he does his program. And I think he's back on Sundays, but I folks don't hold me to that. But this is Chuck Creasy. I'm every Wednesday at noon on the UR Tennis Network. Go to my website, net. That's K-R-I-E-S-E.net. You have every program that I've done in the past five years, and also my writings, some of my blogs. Uh, you can get information, my books, my materials, my camps, and all that other stuff. And if you want to email me, go to chuck at coachcreasy.com. Chuck at coachcreasy.com. Shoot me an email. Let me know what you think about the program. And, and I'd love to. And I could, I'll talk about uh, if you have anything you want to get out there, I'll be glad to talk to it on on uh, on the air. We're in our fifth year now, and uh, you know what? I, I my brother really hammered me the other day, folks, about my intro. He said you got to dump the intro. <laughs> I said, 
what could be better, what could be more corny, or what could be sticking in somebody's mind all night long. You hear that, you know, American tennis song, but uh, but I love it. We're going to stick with it for now. We'll we'll see. We say that the mission of American tennis is to stand up, speak out, say those things that need to be said that you want to say, and doggone, this is the forum to do it. And and we thank you for your input, and we thank you for any comments that that you do have. We just ask you to address issues, not people. Folks, you can say just about anything you want if you address issues and not people. And uh, I've always tried to make that point, but I love Edmund Burke's quote that all that it takes for evil to prosper is for good people, good men, to do nothing. We want you to stand up and speak out. We have a great program for you today, but I, I got to set the table and saying this. Two or three weeks ago, I had a program on mentoring, and I talked about how we all need someone above us, a Paul, someone below us, we are Timothy, the person we teach. The Barnabas level is the most important. That is the brother level or the sister level. So we have somebody teaches us, someone we teach, but that place we really, really could use to help is somebody teach us. But one of my very good friends called me after my show last week and said, Coach, that wasn't your best. And, uh, yeah, we got sidetracked on some things. I had a great format layout there, and I sort of I winged it a little bit there at the end, and it did not come out that well. But he said it was more than that. He said, you're beating a dead horse about the no-ad scoring and the 10-point tiebreakers. Everybody knows that you dislike. Everybody knows that you disdain it. And everybody knows that you don't like shortcuts for this sport. But uh, just thought it was a little bit over the top, Coach. And, and listen, I didn't get offended. I just said, you're right. You're right, and I thank you. I thank you very, very much. It's like a great restaurant. A great restaurant will say, you know, if we're good, if we're bad, tell us. If we're good, tell other people, and sort of that's the way we need to be. Well, my program today, I uh, I wanted to tell you that I've been looking forward to doing this, and I've prepared as much as I can, uh, but, but it's it's going to be something, folks, that you are – you're going to enjoy a lot. Um, my guest is, uh, I didn't want to say, um, Mr. Sam Srivastava. Coach Sam Srivastava. What, what do you want me to call you, Sam? You want me to call you Mr.? I kind of just call you Sam. Everybody knows you by Sam. Is that okay? Sam is good enough for me. Sam, I'm glad you're on the line there. I didn't goof this up there this morning. But I need to introduce you, and folks, I've, I've got so much I could say. I could go into 10 or 20 minutes about this man. I learn from him constantly, constantly. Uh, it's an interesting how I will call him when I get in a fix, and I'll, I'll get some good words of advice. But the big thing is it's, it's the journey that he has made is truly remarkable. Now, I'm going to just tell you that right now he's the chairman and CEO of uh, – Venn Therapeutics, and you know what they do? Uh, they bring innovative cancer drugs to uh, clinical trials and then on to the patients. So he's, it's a little long story about how he got into this, but Sam used to be a longtime bank, banker, a very successful banker. He worked 14 years in big banks, small banks, in between banks, 
but it is truly amazing, Sam, when you first got some of those uh, very high-profile jobs, I said, come on, man. I knew you as a coach. I knew you as a player. Well, I knew you as a coach at Anderson College and then also at East Tennessee State as an assistant for Coach Dave Mullins. You guys won a lot of championships, but, you know, you never know when you touch a life. One of his um, best players that he coached there at Anderson College now coaches the number one player in the world, Angelique uh, Kerber. And, you know, Sam, of course, he's very well educated, very well re uh, read. Sam, I remember back you getting your divinity degree. Uh, after you had got your engineering degree, you got your divinity degree uh, over at Erskine Seminary College. And uh, what some beautiful times we were able to share over there. But you also then got your master's degree in business at East Tennessee State. And then you, and, and you know what? I, I look at you and really I talk about black doors on this program Sam and I'm just about finished setting the table for you but you the greatest thing that you have had is your ability to sort of see the future to see what has happened see what needs to be done whether it was with your players you were coaching or with it and now of course in your own career but but the biggest thing is you've gone through black door after black door after black door, and you have basically have, have just taken on challenges that other people shrink away from. And uh, I, I guess the best thing I could tell you is I appreciate you being a friend and, and an advisor to me, and, and thank you very, very much for being on the program, Sam. So did I do okay with the introduction? Hey, Chuck, uh, that was more than necessary. Thank you to you, and good afternoon to your, uh, to your listeners. I'm, I'm, I'm humbled to be on your program. I'm, I'm happy to, uh, to chat uh, on any topics that you want to discuss. Uh, but enough about me. Let's talk about some uh, things that are on your mind and on your uh, listeners' minds. Well, I, I want to know, first of all, the easiest thing is um, to ask is how in the world – well, I, I remember sort of how it all happened – but you came as a young coach. Uh, you were at Clemson there, I think, doing your uh, engineering degree. And um, you went from there to working in a camp to running a camp. And then you ended up, I go, whoa, wow, the guy's over at Anderson College. He's coaching over there now. And, whoa, my golly, just got the head coaching job. And then you were in coaching, and you helped at Erskine, and you did your divinity degree. I said, my golly, he's going into the seminary here. And then I saw you breaking for the open field in business after East Tennessee State. Well, how do you, Let me ask you something. Okay, so all of us who are coaches out there are those of us work with young people. Tell me about making that transition from uh, coaching – to, from engineering to coaching to business, and uh, what has given you the courage to do that, but also just a few of the things that have enabled you to make those transitions? Hey, Chuck, uh, happy to, uh, to talk about that. I think one of the first things that I learned early on uh, when I came to the United States was um, what a great training ground athletics is. I mean, it, it's not just about tennis, any sport. And, you know, one of the things that I've learned very early and probably learned from you was, you know, 
on an athletic field, it doesn't matter if you are uh, someone's nephew or niece. If you cannot throw a 95 miles an hour fastball, you just don't have the good stuff. So it was not much about nepotism, it was really about meritocracy. So I learned meritocracy and the value of hard work in the athletic arena as a player, as a coach. And I thought it was a fantastic training ground for success in any field in life. So I took that opportunity because I was thinking to myself, uh, you know, uh, like if I think back about my uh, transition, I was uh, quite comfortable and happy coaching tennis. Uh, But I had a vision to say, hey, let me try to solve some bigger problems out there. And so I just had that motivation to solve some big problems in the, uh, in the, in the business world. And as soon as I stepped a foot in the business world, I only knew one thing and one thing only is to deliver results. So I was really surprised that every six months or nine months I would get a new, new promotion, uh, you know, new bonuses and, uh, and, and stuff like that. But I never really focused on that as much as I focused on, on, on giving results and solving big problems. So I think my motivation, frankly, was to solve bigger problems. And I had the training, uh, you know, like you mentioned, is, uh, you know, put up the numbers and do your work. You know, don't take shortcuts. And um, I think that has what has allowed me. And I, frankly, I think a lot of the athletes and coaches that I know who have gone on to corporate America have done extremely well because they just have a great sense of work ethics and they understand the value of hard work. There's a part of that, though, too, Sam. They understand people. Uh, you're skipping out on your divinity degree. I, I think one of the most compelling things uh, I've ever seen is the time you spent uh, in the seminary and working on your divinity degree. And and uh, you really, I, I feel one of, one of the things is the missing touch. A lot of times people know the business but they don't connect with the people. Well, they don't connect with people's hearts. And I don't care if that's being a coach uh, or a businessman or anything. You've got to I mean, engage that's probably the being heart. A coach. So, so, you know, so let me just kind of pause there. You know, Chuck, I think that in, in, in one of our conversations, um, you know, we, we talked about nobody cares how much you know till they know how much you care. And I see that a lot in both, coaching and also in the business world because it just makes sense. You know, if you care about people, whether it be coaching tennis or coaching football or at workplace, I think people people see that and they see that you're not faking it. You're really genuinely interested in, in, in their growth. So if you build people around you, I think they want you to succeed and, and, and I think that's right. So, uh, you know, I had a heart for, for, uh, for people who are suffering. Um, you know, I was very fortunate to have spent time at Erskine. Uh, what a great place that is. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, learn more about, you know, being a servant uh, leader. And I think I've taken that uh, in my, uh, in any profession I've been. And I think at the end of the day, I think you take the weather with you wherever you go. So if you have the foundation, you have the, uh, uh, the skill sets to, uh, to, to connect with people, uh, you know, I think, uh, I think it doesn't matter what arena you're in. Yeah, that's, that's, those are good words, and absolutely, I didn't want to leave that part out, though, because people, I think, everybody I've met is, they trust you, and they know where your heart is and, and, and things. I want to talk, I want to get this turned a little bit towards um, what we need in the sport of tennis and in the United States, and I want to approach, I, I got into a USTA bashing session 
last week a little bit and I you know and, and again whenever you start criticizing I, I tell my players all the time that people will judge you more by what you say about others than what others say about you in other words big people do not speak about other people I always say address issues not people I have recently addressed organizations and, and I've been bashing the USTA the ITA and you know, in, in some of these organizations that I'm just I'm fuming <clears throat> that we are dismantling our our sport. Very much like we had been, I'm think I'm hoping we're back on track soon about dismantling our country, but we were dismantling our sport little by little and uh Basically, I've, I've told my players so many times that, you know, there's the wimp, the jerk, and the man approach to uh, taking care of things. The wimp does nothing. The jerk speaks out, speaks too much, addresses probably people instead of issues. But the man stands back, assesses the problem, figures out what needs to be done, and then has a very well-thought-out plan. They don't just bash. Well, I found myself in a jerk mode last week. Um, can you uh, speak to those things a little bit and, and just, um, you know, you've told me before, you know, stay out of that jerk mode, Coach. You know, stay out. But can you sure, address sure. those a little bit and how that approach, how that approach works in your, your work as well? Sure. You know, uh, you know, Chuck, I learned this, and I always give credit where credit is due. I learned this from Ritz Carlton. And, uh, you know, Ritz Carlton is known for great customer service. And uh, I was talking to their former uh, president CEO, and he told me, he said, look, Sam, we don't try to please everybody. We, we try to please 92 to 96% of the people because 4% of the people are just jerks, and that's what we call a jerk factor. We don't try to please everybody because they complain no matter what the issue is. So my coaching and my guidance to anybody out there is to say, look, you have to ask yourself, are you in the 4% jerk factor of complaining about everything or true innovation? So you don't even try to – Yeah, don't even bother. You don't, I'm sorry because for interrupting. You, you, you right. don't even try to worry about the jerks. I mean, in other words, if people no. are just – you let it go. You just let it go. You just, have to, you just have to understand that that you have limited energy and you cannot waste your energy on things that are never going to move. So you focus on the on the big picture, the 90 to 96%. Having said that, oftentimes innovation comes from – innovation always comes from small places. It never comes from big government or big institutions. So, for example, if you look at Apple – you look at Google, you, you, you look at Cisco, you look at Cancer Care, which I'm in right now. All the great minds were probably in a garage or in a lab somewhere that just had a vision of solving a big problem. So I think there's a fine line between uh, seeing a difference between a, maybe a jerk factor versus true innovation. True innovation always is some, someone who's lonely and is looking at a problem and saying, you know, that problem needs to be solved. So as long as one stays pure to the problem being solved and understands the problem is big enough, I think that's where true innovation comes. It, it, innovation comes from passionate people who see a problem and they want to fix the problem. And that's, that's as simple as I can tell you. you. You you gave a good story about, though, that you said it was Rich Carlton. Explain the thing 
what real customer service was. You said if somebody drops, uh, I forget, do you remember the story you yeah, were so, telling me? Yeah, yeah. So exactly. So, you know, what Ritz-Carlton is great at doing is if you go there and stay there and you have a little daughter walking with you, Molly, and, and she's walking up a staircase and she drops a you know, basket of strawberries she's carrying, the, uh, the, the house cleaning crew will, who observed it will clean it up, you know, take, you say, don't worry, they take care of it. And what will probably happen is the evening that you show back to your room, there'll probably be a basket of strawberries sitting in your room and saying, hey, sorry, uh, you know, Molly, that you dropped this. Here's a replacement. You had no clue this was going to happen because they take ownership. No matter you are the president, the manager, or janitor, they have a sense of ownership for the mission for the company. They don't look at their job title or the pay scale to be accountable. And I think that's the beauty of the system. And you apply the same you know, concept to accountability, whether it be in tennis as a coach. I mean, I, I know as a coach it was so difficult sometimes to get your point across or, or to motivate somebody. Uh, but at, at the end of the day, it's about accountability. And, and the best discipline that I've learned in, 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 in coaching is not external discipline but self-discipline. And that's a concept that I think you teach and others teach. Uh, and I think that's what separates you know, uh, a championship athlete uh, from somebody who's probably be uh, a roller coaster athlete, and so that's really my, you know, my my point of view on that topic. You made a few big points. Innovation always comes from small places, and then the care factor. Nobody cares what you know unless they know that you care. To the extreme, to where you see your eyes see just a greater detail of how you can help people in a sincere way, not in a way where, hey, I can get something back, more like a pay-it-forward mentality, correct? I think that's right. Yeah, and, and but here's the thing where I want to go with this. Bureaucracies. I cannot stand bureaucracies. We have started failing in this country, and it's not the people who work in the bureaucracies. Look, there's strength in organizations. There's strength in good people working hard to make an organization strong. But what happens in bureaucracies that sooner or later, and you said this, there becomes a a no small person acknowledgement. Acknowledgement of the small person stops. It ceases. And then sensitivity to individual needs ceases. And, uh, you know, for example, in our tennis world, um, I have preached on this show and everywhere I go to talk about coaches, we now have a computerized point system that is very impersonal. It is a very uh, pragmatic, uh, robotical system of let's go get our points for the kids. And our children are not being inspired they are not inspired and the point is with our bureaucrats and i good people good people but in in, in a bureaucracy is sam is that they cling to the format of the bureaucracy rather than to get out of the mold and be any kind of an outlier they cling to the safety of a system instead of inspiring incentives and okay, whether this is a big organization, you brought it up about small businesses. I'd like for you to talk about why small businesses succeed. 
but we have this in our tennis world right now, and it is smothering, and it is non-inspiring. And I work with young people all the day, all the time, and our young people are saying, look, I'm going to go to lacrosse, to soccer, to wrestling, to baseball, to these other sports. Tennis is, uh, uh, folks, you know it, Sam, tennis is in trouble. Talk about this concept of what bureaucracies do and why small businesses make it and, and why we have to stimulate small entrepreneurial thinking. Yeah, so, Chuck, you know, I think there, you know, I was very fortunate uh, having uh, spent my time in coaching uh, great, uh, uh, you know, college players uh, and, and meeting a lot of great collegiate um, and, and club coaches. And I think, as you really know, there are a lot of really, really good coaches out there who care about the players, who care about their growth and development. So so it's not it's not a case in which uh, which there are not enough good people out there with great intentions. And I know I've seen them, you know, it, it, it's been a while, but I've seen them, you know, take such great care in developing talent. So I think what you have to do is take a step back and ask yourself a simple question. Is it, is it a big problem or is it a small problem? So if the problem is a big problem, then, you know, sometimes you have to play the system in the sense that if the system is structured with the points, et cetera, you know, you just, you just have to let the system, you know, be part of, you can't change it today or tomorrow, but what you can do is at, at local levels, you can have a different way of approaching the athletes to focus on their growth and their development, keeping them engaged. So I think the difference that somebody sitting in uh, Tampa, Florida, or uh, on, you know, Vedra Beach in Florida, you know, sitting in an ivory tower office and making a difference is probably going to be very, very small. But somebody sitting in Belton, South Carolina, uh, or Anderson, South Carolina, or Augusta, Georgia, who's right there with the kid, with the parent, I think that's truly where the difference is made. So I really don't know how how you would approach it from a systemic perspective, but I think you can, uh, you know, through either through networking, through a show like yours, you know, that you have right now, the forum that you have built. I think you can connect with like-minded people and and, uh, advance the mission forward because there are a lot of good people I know you are a great coach, and there are a lot of great coaches like you out there who care about the athletes and players like you do. So I think having some kind of a, a, a way of communicating and learning from each other what's working, what's not working, I think most often missed part that I've seen in business and, and in sports is sometimes people don't pay attention to what's not working. And, uh, and it's a principle that I think uh, you know, one should focus on because you can learn a lot from what's not working. Success sometimes doesn't, you know, doesn't teach you much. So that's my two cents on the topic is I think you keep it local. You keep it with people who, who care about the, uh, the growth and development. And, you know, you have a forum right now. Maybe you can expand on that. I mean, you know, you know that's my two cents on the topic. Yeah, Sam, you say a couple of great things there. What is not working? Now, this is an important point to everybody out there. We are, look, it's the deterioration is a slow deterioration, number one, and it's going to go fast. It's very much like our economy maybe in the United States. 
It's maybe may very much like the national debt, or it's maybe you know they always use the analogy of a of, of a frog that you put in water and you you start turning up the heat and uh, you boil. Eventually, it boils to death. Everybody knows that analogy. But the bottom line on the thing is, we don't pay attention to what's not working because we do not call out the failings of our kids or the shortcomings of our coaching, or our shortcomings of our organizations. We do not call them out anymore. We are so accustomed to calling everybody a winner, giving everybody awards and participation trophies. I mean, we're the Hall of Fames, the type of people get into Hall of Fames now that really are just committee people that haven't done any work, really, that haven't done anything, that it's sort of their turn and it, it really is amazing, Sam, that we don't know the diamonds for the rhinestones. Number one, I wanted to make that point. But I wanted to ask you, there's, you know, there seems to be no courage out there with the different, whether they're coaches or whether they're people in bureaucracies. You probably saw it in business all the time. The older people just say, hey, you know what, I'm close to retiring. What the heck, Never make, don't make a fuss. Young people say, hey, I just want to be a part of the program. People in the middle say, you know what, I got the golden handcuffs on me now. I, I, did, I don't want to make a mess either. People are afraid more than any time I've ever seen in my lifetime. People do not have, I hate to say not have the courage, but they, they do not have the courage nor the know-how nor the leadership to stand up, speak out, make a difference. Am I hitting yes, so- it? Is it the same yeah, so so let me you know let me give you my two cents on the topic. Um, so you know you have a lot of stuff in there. Um, so let's talk about uh, tools. I think one of the ways to address issues are providing tools to people. You know, let me talk about a tool or two that I learned from you that allowed me to be, I think, half as successful in, in things that I've done. So one of the tools that I learned was the four types of athletes, right? So you have a championship athlete, you have a roller coaster athlete, uh, then I think you called it a ratchet effect athlete. It must be a tight athlete. Ratchet, that's right. And then, and then the burnout athlete. And, yep, 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 and the burnout athlete. Yep. So, so, so I looked at the model and I said, you know, let me ask myself, which category do I fit in as a coach, as, a, as an executive at a bank? Am I a championship uh, executive, athlete, coach, or am I a roller coaster? So the the answer was very simple. I think I was a roller coaster, uh, uh, you know, um, executive, and I said I got to change that. I want to be a championship a- a- executive, not a not a uh, roller coaster. So I learned to set higher standards for myself. So I think that was a tool that I had that I doubt a lot of people know those tools because. It's easier for us to look in the mirror and say, "Hey, how can I fix what's not working?" You know, going back to what's not working. So you, you know, go back to the the system today in tennis. I think if you and your like-minded coaches, who are there's plenty of them out there who are such good people, I have nothing but respect for them. Is if you allow those tools to be given to athletes, to uh, parents, uh, etc., and just talk about the tools, then what happens is all the innovation and the passion will be local. And that's where the true change can really take place. And, I, and, I, and I'll give you a corny example that actually, frankly, I use it because it's so true. Uh, there's, a, there's an animation movie called Kung Fu Panda. 
okay? And this is going to take you to the left field. And in the movie, you know, this guy's trying to look for the secret formula to be a, to be a, a, a great grandmaster. At the end of the movie, he finds the scroll, looks at the scroll, and it's nothing but empty. And he can't figure it out. You know, why is it empty? It really wasn't empty. It's just a reflection mirror. And it says, the secret of success is you. And I think that's a very powerful, powerful story is you provide people with tools. At the end of the day, the ownership has to be local. It has to be at the uh, athlete level. It has to be at the parent level. And I think your job and the job of other people is to just foster that thinking and those tools that can allow people to take charge uh, of their own destiny. And I think that's where a true renaissance can really come, in, in my opinion, in any sport, and especially tennis, because, you know, I'm a, uh, I have a vested interest here because I really care about the sport and I care about the people involved in the sport. So I think that's where, Chuck, I think you, you may want to take this is, is talk more about tools and skill sets uh, that, you know, that can be transferred very easily. Sometimes it's hard to change uh, a very big organization with a lot of inertia that's 100 years old. So, so that may not be the most prudent approach. It may be really about uh, having a, 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 an army of people who, who believe in, uh, in making the sport great again. You know, there's no passion, no passion, I want to say, evolves from a bureaucracy. There is no passion involved in a bureaucracy. No passion happens in top-down management. It always happens in bottom-up, and I think that's your message. Would you mind if we give the people those four tools? Because I don't know if I've ever spoken about that on my show. There's do you want to give or you want me to go ahead there, Sam? No, uh, Chuck, this, you know, that's your tool. Why don't you keep it simple and talk about the four tools? That's I how will. I, All I, right. I, well, I think it's brilliant. I basically, many years ago, I did the Anthony Robbins tape. I've, I've used that as an example. Back in the 80s, pain and pleasure, reward and punishment. Those are the only two tools. Many times I've told people on this uh, show, I've said that, the three P's, peers, pain, and pleasure. Reward or surround people with the right people. Then reward for what they do well, pain for what they don't do. And I thought about there's four kinds of athletes. The championship athlete absolutely hates losing and loves winning. In other words, they run from the pain. The pain of losing makes them work twice as hard, and then they love winning. And uh, anybody you talk to is a winner and wins a lot. That's the thing. They're the championship athletes. The roller coaster, like you were saying you might have been, is the person who doesn't hate losing but loves winning. So you have all kinds of extremes. You have great successes and great failures. The ratchet athlete is very much like I was as a child. You hate losing, but you don't allow yourself the thrill of winning or the fun of winning and therefore, it's always two steps back, two steps forward. So, uh, And then the last, of course, was the burnout athlete. You don't hate losing, and you don't love winning, and it's time to take up a different sport because you're done. So hey, Chuck, uh, that's can a I, quick um, little reference there. Yeah, go ahead. Jump in, Sam. So, so, so Chuck, I want to you know, relate this back to tennis because this is, you know, this is a tennis show. Uh, with, with, with broader consequences. So I want to talk about two athletes, you know, one from 10 years ago and one from, from current year. So if you look at uh, and, and hear Andre Agassi talk about how he fell from 
top five in the world to 150 in the world. And it was great when I heard him say, he says, look, I didn't hate losing anymore. That's exactly what he said. And he had to come to a point in his life where he started hating, uh, hate to lose again. And that's what allowed him to come back from 150 in the world to back to top two, top three in the world. Today, in, in, you know, Angelique Kerber, I'm very fortunate that one of my former players, Torben Bells, you know, now coaches her. If you look at Angelique Kerber, I mean, she had a tough ride. She was maybe, you know, in her uh, mid to high teen rankings, maybe 2021 20, in the world. But she has focused her training over the last two years, and I give Torben a lot of credit for that, is she loves winning, and she also hates losing. And she has had an unbelievable 2016 uh, uh, you know, run, uh, and, of course, she's number one in the world. So I think those, those tools, Chuck, transcend a person, a sport, because I think there are those are timeless tools that somebody can look in the mirror at their objective with themselves and answer the question honestly. Uh, you can transform yourself locally. You don't need a big institution to tell you that. You just have to look in the mirror. Very good, but I want to go a step further and say that the damage a bureaucracy does is when you give out participation trophies, or if you have abbreviated scoring, or if you have no ad scoring, or these things that are so shallow, pain of losing does not move people, nor does the thrill of winning, because the thrill of winning has to be something that other people have not and do not accomplish. It has to be a great reward. And losing needs to hurt. So we've gone just the opposite. The bureaucracies have got it all wrong. And uh, they've, they've cheapened victories into mundane occurrences. And they have not allowed the sting with, uh, uh, right now a player can lose 15 times and they still don't have to go home after the tournament. Uh, if if you had one and done more, we would have a lot more kids uh, working hard at their tennis games, and uh, we've just dumbed it down. So right, you so uh, USDA folks out there, there you go, and uh, you might take a look inwardly and see the damage that you're doing. For exa- example, if when you win a 10-point tiebreaker for the third set, Really, it's sort of like kissing your sister. I always say it really is just, ah, it's really not a win. And when you lose, it doesn't hurt enough to move move you forward. So, right. So let me, all uh, right. you know, let me give you a challenge here, Chuck, to you and 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 to to to, to the fellow parents, coaches, listeners, athletes. So you know, go back to the old Marine motto, right? So what do the Marines say? And I've always used that in my you know in my career. Uh, they say. Adapt, improvise, and overcome. So what you have to do is, knowing the system that is, it's not going to change today and tomorrow, I think the innovation is going to come is, how do I adapt, how do I improvise, and how do I overcome the situation? Because the situation may not change today, tomorrow, maybe ever. So I think that's my challenge to you and to your listeners and to people who are like-minded like you are, is to come, and that's where true innovation comes. So I'm going to challenge you and the uh, and your listeners to figure out a way. How are you going to adapt, improvise, and overcome? Very, very, very good. And Sam, please stay on. I've got to go to a commercial, okay, buddy? We're going to come back and okay, talk thanks. about the jerk, wimp, jerk, man thing, but the difference between being 
crazy and being a genius, uh, there's not much difference in those two. Really, it's sort of just a person's perspective. We'll be right back. Coach J.P. Weber of the We Coach Tennis Radio Show. In my 30 years experience in coaching tennis, I've never seen a better tennis training situation for children than Coach Creasy's total tennis training camps. Chuck Creasy has coached them and trained them in every arena from juniors to collegiate to professional tennis, and over 15,000 children have improved their games at his summer tennis camps. Find out more at ChuckCreasy.net. That's ChuckCreasy.net. Folks, this is Coach Chuck Creasy, and email me at chuck at coachcreasy.com or go to my website at chuckcreasy.net. Folks, I'll come to your club, to I'll come to your Creasy camp, and, total tennis and I'll camps. do go those things Creasy. that we need to do to make things happen. i got to do them within the rules, and we will. Folks, call me at chuck at coachcreasy.net. Dot com, and I'll be glad to help you out. chuckcreasy.net and you can get all the past programs today with sam uh srivastava thank you thank you very much for being on here uh we i want to go to the the wimp jerk man it's better to be a jerk than to just be a wimp and do nothing isn't it i mean innovation sometimes you gotta sometimes use an ice pick sometimes use surgeon's instrument sometimes does it come with a sledgehammer Sometimes, I mean, uh, <laughs> I mean, people always sort of uh, look at somebody's using a sledgehammer and just say, "Hey, forget it." But is that better than doing nothing? Sam, are you there? Okay, I'm trying oh, to get. I'm here, Coach. No. Okay, I'm here, I'm Coach here. Sam. So, all right. So. So I think that that it's easier to be to be a jerk for sure because it takes the least uh, you know <laughs> amount of energy because you can just because uh, <laughs> it takes effort to be actually nice to someone or or to to engage and I think uh, you know, by default you you always go back to the lowest state of energy 
but I think you know, you know, your program and dialogue before is really, you know, um, leading me to think about the tools that I think, you know, that you talked uh, that you talk about that others have talked about uh, that can take um, and be. You know, it's almost like a a chain reaction. I mean, if you if you allow those tools to be given and understood by parents and and, and athletes. I think they will take the extra effort because then they can see how that benefits them. I think at the end of the day, if people see the end result, uh, then it's difficult to be a jerk because then you see something in it for yourself. Yeah, I mean, the difference between, uh, they'd say, uh, my son one time, long time ago, sent a quote to me, said, um, when you try an innovative skill and you fail, or something people don't understand, they say crazy. If you're fairly successful, they say, oh, that's eccentric. But if you're widely successful, they say, why? That, wow, that person is a genius. Um, talk, I mean, how much do you have to go out on the limb in, in business, as you were talking the other day, about how hard it would be impossible if you were under a big bureaucracy to do the work you're doing right now with the cancer research and the cancer stuff that you're doing. Is that correct? Yeah, right. I I think that's right because, you know, I'm a small company and I'm the, uh, you know, uh, janitor and the CEO on the same day. Um, It's it's different because I'm a small business. But when I was part of a big bureaucracy, I think you hit it on the head. I think a lot of people on the call listening to you today can empathize with that because what you do is, is then you become part of a comfort zone. Nobody wants to get fired from a job uh, because you you know you create uh, you know waves and you become the object of attention. And the best thing to do is to say nothing, uh, you know, because you don't want to risk uh, the the outcome. And I understand that because you know people have to put food on the table. But it but it, it has to be different for a sport, maybe football, basketball, tennis, because you know here's someone who is your child or a player or, or athlete of yours, and you want to make a difference in their lives and, and, and be a positive influence. So I think, I think the big system, big bureaucracy, does breed that level of complacency just because the system allows you to hide in a corner. Unlike a small business where I you know, run my company, uh, I can't hide, and nobody who works for me can hide because we have a very small shop and we – are trying to do something innovative, and uh, you know we get rejected every day. And and uh, I was in New York last week, you know, uh, pitching one of my cancer drugs. We like we trying to raise some money, and we went to some you know some big name firms and got rejected. And uh, I'm sure I'm going to go through a lot of rejections here for the next uh, you know several months. But I also know that my product that we are working on is very good, and some of the investments that they have made are actually in, in inferior products. So eventually, I believe in what we are doing, and we're going to get there. So I think rejection is part of the game. Being ridiculous is part of the game, and uh, it's part of the process and the journey. So I don't focus on that as much as what can I learn from it. So you know, going back to my earlier comment uh, at the beginning of the call uh, on your show, I asked myself, I said, okay, I've always told my players, do not be bitter after a loss. Do not be bitter. Change that I to an E, be better after a loss. And I've always said that to my athletes, and I've always used it in my own life. I never am better after a loss. So I came back from New York. I spent $2,000 on a trip. 
And I asked myself, what could I have done better? And I figured it out. I changed the way we are presented. And I think the next dog is going to hunt. So I think that's the attitude you have to have as an athlete or as a coach or as a parent is never be better after a loss. You learn from the loss and be better. And I think you say those things in probably, you know, uh, in, in different ways. But, Chuck, I, I, can, I can assure you, uh, success and uh, opportunities have never come easy to me. I think I failed seven times before I actually got anything done. But most people don't see that because they see the success and they say, wow, it, it must be easy. But it's never easy. No, and, and here's the thing. I always like to try to can a few things to remember for our listeners. And uh, here's our tragedy in a bureaucracy that if you have bad leaders. Now, first of all, participation trophies or any way, any time that you elevate people past their level of confidence, the Peter Principle, I guess, Dilbert Principle, I've heard you promote people <laughs> out of your department, you know, sometimes if they're not competent. <laughs> but number one, people hire number ones. Number two, hire threes. Now, a number one person empowers those under them. It it gives you know, I've always operated uh, trying a thing I heard a long, long time ago. They said, if you want anything done in your organization, you tell your people, I'd rather give you forgiveness than permission. That's your territory. Go get it done. Run it. The problem with our bad leaders who are who people who try to control in top-down management is they stifle things. There's no way to improve in top down top down management does not inspire it does not end up ending very well and it's we have many many cases in point in the world of tennis for sure i mean i wish i could say you know what i don't agree with how they're doing it but we have 10 world champions in the last 15 years well we don't we we are failing and we the proof okay, so of the pudding yeah, so, so Chuck, you know, a, a thought came to my mind that I think you will really, uh, uh, you know, um, align yourself with. So, so look at our president-elect Donald Trump, what he did, you know, during his primary run and the run for the uh, for the White House. If you feel there's a system out there that is preventing something, you you go directly to the people and to the players and athletes and coaches. I think his genius was he had everybody against him. I think nationally, two newspapers endorsed him. Um, everybody, you know, including his own party. But what he did, his genius was, he went straight to the people who vote, and he got elected. I think the same model, if you apply to tennis, is go straight to the athletes, go straight to the parents and the coaches involved. Just don't worry about, in my opinion, about the structure. And uh, and of course, you know, my challenge to you and your, uh, you know, fellow coaches is to figure out a way to innovate around that says your base is going to be um, the athletes, the players, and the coaches, and the parents. And uh, I, I'm sure that there's some way to, uh, to circumvent that, and I don't know what that is right now, but that's my, you know, you know that's my feedback. Well, I, I agree completely, and we've tried many ways. You have four levels. You have the administrators of the bureaucracy. You have the coaches. You have the players. You have the parents. Well, fans, you could say, are part of it, but they're sort of peripheral. 
you know, it's market drivenness, you know, and things. But but our men's are doing things, I believe, that do not inspire anything about, um, you know, with our sport. Now, listen to my, see if this is relevant, see if this makes sense. Parents only have skin in the game for about 18 months before the kids go to college. Once they go to college, they pretty much pull out of the deal. At first, when they get their kids into tennis, they're just learning, and only by talking about it with other parents and other coaches do they learn. And really, I've seen parents become very, very passionate about the lack of scholarships to American players, about some of these things about the no-ad scoring and all this uh, but they're only passionate until it doesn't involve until it doesn't involve their child anymore. The players go along with things as they're bled into it. Like right now, uh, talking about a the heat being turned up a little bit at a time, they're bleeding in systematically these abbreviated scoring systems. In another five years, our kids will be used to them, and they'll think that's what tennis is when it doesn't have any semblance or resemblance. Of what tennis actually was. The coaches, Sam, are pretty much, were 80% against all of the tragic things that um, have been coming into our sport. Uh, and they've been dumbed down. Like I said, the coach is almost systematic the way the le- our leaders went after a few of the top coaches. And there's even room, I don't know what they did to inspire them. I'm not, I'm not going to leave it there. But they got some of the top coaches, and then they tried to basically, I'm sorry, this. no, I'm not sorry. This is true. They bullied some of the other coaches, and uh, now we have three divisions. The old coaches don't care. The young coaches just want to fit in, and the, middle, the middle-aged coaches are just trying to save their rear ends. So we have a problem here. We, we have a, uh, in the end, power wins, dictatorships win dictatorial leadership will prevail but our sport will suffer there's four kinds of leadership you know you have dictatorial then you have of course coercive leadership where you pretty much force people by the that's what we have right now for coercive and then there's persuasive where they talk people into something and they gave up on that when some of their programs are failing. And then there's leadership by example, and that is the only one that absolutely inspires other people. So we're, at a, we're, at a, we're in a mess right now. And uh, um, <laughs> if you were in charge, what would you tell us to do? I mean, you've already given us some good things. We've got to go directly to the sure. people like Donald Trump. Did. What he sure. did was unbelievable, sure. whether you like him or not. He was a total genius. For the next 100 years, Harvard Business School will teach how you won the presidency. So to answer your question, um, uh, you, know, you know, directly, uh, like, like here's my thought process, is paint, a com- you know, create followership. I think followership is, is, is what you need, and the followership has to be who cares if USTA comes to you or coaches like you or, or not. That's irrelevant. It's, it's always about the player, number one. It's all player parents and coaches you know that's how i think about it and i think if you have the followership there and be you know give them a vision of what it could be like and what it should be like and give them the tools i think if you keep preaching that 
you know, those three or four things uh, on your show, sharing tools, sharing the vision, I think the followership will come, and that followership is what changes, uh, you know, changes the game. I mean, if you go back to you know, politics again, you know, uh, Trump painted a very simple picture for the United States uh, is make America great again and talked about a couple of things. And so you have to have a vision to change something and, and then followership. Without followership, he would be nowhere. And so I think that's the connection that you have to continue to think about is how do, you, how do I make the connection with the players, the parents, and the coaches to advance the vision that, that you and others have of making the sport where it could be, where it should be. And frankly, we all can agree that we are not at, at our heydays. And uh, you know, maybe we can bring some of it back uh, the United States. So I think that's my, you know, two cents on the topic. Well, the tra- tragedy is they're dismantling our sport, our sports heritage. It's it would be like dismantling the Constitution of the United States, uh, which some tried to do. But when you dismantle our history and our heritage, there's nothing to stand up for, nothing to fight for, nothing to believe in, and therefore it does not inspire to just have a system we need we need to be inspired we need something to believe in uh sam so create so a followership right so you know paint that picture of, of, of what it could be and i think you know i've learned so much as you know from from coaches including yourself there are some fantastic tools that allow you to succeed in life i mean if you look back at, at sports in general i mean i you know my son plays football and he's a quarterback of a JV team. And if you look at sports, there's a, there's a limited shelf life of, of everything. There's a limited shelf life of an NFL player, uh, you know, depending on position. There's a limited shelf life of a, of a tennis player. There's limited shelf life. But your life is longer than the shelf life of a, spe- of a specific uh, sport. And I think the tools and the principles – that coaching community knows allow people to succeed, whether they ever play tennis after college, before college, after high school or not, is tools that allow them to be successful. I think that's what I would be, what, you know, that's what I would focus on a lot is, is, is these tools and these principles, uh, you know, they go far beyond tennis. And of course, they're going to help you be a better person and a better player, uh, but also allow you to be su- successful in whatever field of, uh, you know, uh, influence or, or profession that you choose. So I think that you have, you know, a lot of great tools and uh, experience to share, and I would just, just, just do that. Well, that's those are fantastic words. Uh, well, we've got about a minute here, um, Sam. I, I cannot thank you enough for being on the program today. Um, you know, uh, I'll give you the last word just um, for the person who's out there. Create a vision, paint the picture, stand by your guns, and you're going to get shot at pretty much, correct? Absolutely. If you're not being shot at, you're not doing something right. Well, that's, that's, so, uh, those are good words, and that, that's great advice. I, I could not thank you more.
Opinions stated by various contributors to the UR Tennis Network and its programming are not to be considered as endorsed by the UR Tennis Network. Participants are encouraged to use their own discernments and draw their own conclusions. All information, products, and services offered by the UR Tennis Network are for personal use only. The UR Tennis Network does not confirm nor deny the validity or accuracy of information contained within the network. Any products or services provided for should be used solely for entertainment purposes. We emphasize the idea of keeping an open mind and not construing the products, services, or data as factual.